reading is from Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim the message I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of God for the world. Of the, for the world. Fresh from fish vomit, Jonah hears the word of the Lord come to him a second time. Arise and go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it what I tell you. Of course, as usual, we're caught up in the middle of the story, but let's go back to where the story began. In fact, if you would, you might want to follow along in your own Bible, because we're going to be looking. Jonah is actually, in my Bible, just one page. Jonah 1 4. The very beginning, in Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord comes, saying almost the exact same thing, telling Jonah to go to Nineveh, to proclaim to them their wickedness, which has been seen by the Lord. Let's recall the familiar part. Most of us, maybe by show of hands, learn the story of Jonah as a child. Okay, most of you. We learned it as a, a whale of a tail, <laughs> and perhaps that's where it stayed. It's just a really neat children's story. In fact, I think this is the first time I've ever preached on Jonah. Well, let's, let's sort of recap. Jonah has been called by the Lord to go to Nineveh. Let's put Nineveh in perspective. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was, no, it was known for its violence, its viciousness, torture. And it wasn't just like the Israelites didn't like them. They were, it felt, personally assaulted by them. The way I like to put it into perspective is for Jonah and this word from the Lord is think about if God had called us to speak to Al-Qaeda the day after 9-11 and said speak repentance to them even though you've been hurt and personally violated God wants repentance and mercy no wonder Jonah was afraid he buys his first ticket to Tarshish the opposite direction of Nineveh and so as you probably know this part of the story, he finds himself on the ship, sailing out, 
Clearly, he's running away. And it says, there was a great storm that the Lord caused. So much so that it says the ship was about to be over destroyed. And the sailors are running around and trying to figure out what's going on. They start throwing things overboard, lightening the load. And the captain even finds Jonah, who has even gone to the bottom of the ship. I mean, he has run away as far as he can. And he tells him to wake up and pray out to your God, because we've all been praying to our God and it's not working. He goes up and he, he's talking to the other sailors and they cast lots to determine who is, who's at fault here. And Jonah's lot is, is the one that comes up. And he confesses this word of the Lord and that he is the one fleeing. <laughs> and then they do what any natural person would do. They throw him overboard. <laughs> no, actually, they tried every other means. If you look at the text, it said they rowed as quick as they could back to land, but to no avail. And so Jonah actually tells them to throw him into the water. And they do. And the sea is as calm. It quits its raging as one text says. And then the last verses here of chapter 1 says, The Lord appoints a great fish and swallows Jonah for three days and three nights. Apparently, this is a great place for the temple of prayer. Because the whole chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. This is a great piece of comedy, by the way, in Jewish um, and Hebrew scripture. And if you look at this prayer, you'll notice that he's calling out to the Lord. Remember me, Lord. You'll notice this, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Lord, you answered me, right? It's a great prayer. We do that. And then he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Deliverance, or some say salvation, belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke, and the fish says, vomits Jonah out into the dry land. And then our text for today. So we begin in the middle of our story. And this time when the word of the Lord speaks, somehow it's caught Jonah's attention. And he responds. And he goes into Nineveh, and after one day's walk through, he preaches the most effective and shortest sermon in recorded history. In Hebrew, it's five words. In English, it's a little bit longer, but not much more. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And what happens next? It says the people believed in God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth and ashes, the signs of repentance. And it even made its way all the way to the king who declared a proclamation that no one should eat or drink, but rather be in repentance and fasting. And I love this. Again, the comedy of this. Do you notice that even the cattle are wearing sackcloth? So, you know, this is the imagery that all the cattle, the livestock, are here wearing sackcloth. 
But God sees their earnest repentance. And it says God has mercy on them and spares them. This is definitely the ultimate going to the other story, if ever there was one. Jonah was afraid. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites, the enemy. This was sort of like being called again into enemy territory, enemy camp. We all have our enemies, our other. People we would rather not spend time with, or as we talked about at free-for-all, the no-go zones, where it's dangerous, threatening, and you don't know what you're going to encounter. But here's the thing. Our value, this value for providence of going to the other, is not simply going to the other just to try to be their friend. It goes much deeper than this, and it requires us to think theologically. Let me explain. Believe it or not, Jonah doesn't go to Tarshish or head that direction just because he's afraid of the Ninevites. That's what I always thought growing up, listening to this story in Sunday school as a child. I just thought it because they were so vicious. But if you look in chapter 4... He actually says, this is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And Jonah didn't want any part of that. He knew that if he were to proclaim repentance, they just might repent. And he could not square with God showing mercy to his end. Whoa, this has all kinds of modern day applications. What Jonah was fleeing was the mercy of God falling on the other to discover something about the other that is deserving of God's love. In essence, to recognize the other not as the other, but that we're all made up of the same human fabric. This was his fear. Annette pointed out at deeper couple months ago about Jung, who said that the very parts that we dislike about the other many times are the very shadows of our own self that we don't want to look at. But here's the catch. Inside yourself, you're blind to these differences that we don't even hold. We, these contradictions, we call them. The shadows that we don't even name. The other is very much ourselves. And the idea that we are connected from the same divine source means we're all connected. So what do we do? What ends up happening is we tend towards self-deception. Instead of focusing on the other as part of ourself, we focus on the physical other. 
And we spend our whole lives separating ourselves from other people, and we categorize, we compartmentalize. And God keeps saying, you're all my children. I mean, I made each and every one of you, you are all part of the same human family. Maybe even this morning, you're sort of thinking about who is my other. We have lists upon lists of these, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. It goes on and on, liberals, conservatives, Tea Party, independents, all kinds of all kinds of names and labels. And here's the irony. When Jonah goes to the other, the Ninevites, they actually repent, as Herb said, at free for all. But the Israelites' own prophets, when they spoke to Israel, never repented. Is it possible that we have something to learn from the other? I love what Dave said at Free For All. He says, Jonah's upset because they're receiving God's grace. We believe we have to earn it, see? And especially some others, they just seem outside of God's grace. Glenda followed that by saying, we like to control where God's grace can go. Perhaps this is a lesson in realizing that we're not any one of us deserving of this grace. Maybe this is a way that we can reframe how we're all on equal footing. So the comedy continues in chapter 4. In case you thought this whole chapter and book was about the whale, there's actually this other animal that comes. God responds to Jonah's despair because he is verbally angry and wants to die because of this mercy God is showing. And so God sends him this leafy plant to provide shade. But the next day, he sends a worm to eat the plant. And God, of course, is teaching him a lesson. It's a great line. He says, You're so concerned about this plant, but you didn't tend to it or create it. See, I'm the great creator. Should I not have concern for these Ninevites, my creation? There are over 120,000 men and women and animals, and they don't know their right hand from their left. They are ignorant just as you once were. At the heart of this is something Linda said at Free For All. We are more interested in revenge than repentance. I think this is true because repentance has to begin with us. It's easier, of course, to point the finger than look at us inside our own selves. Our blind spots, our failings, our shortcomings, our shadows. So who is your other? Everyone has a Ninevite. Everyone does. You say, but I'm open to affirming. Great, you have another. But I marched for civil rights. Great, you have another. But 
on Cherry Street. What's in that? Great. You have another. You're a pastor? Great. You have another. When we take someone and think of them as different than us, so much so that they're not worthy of our attention, our care, our love, they have become another. Another is someone you don't want to listen to. You know, you just rather ignore them. It's not that you, in some cases, that you hate them. You just don't want to stand in their shoes for a minute. Sometimes the other may be as close as your own family member or your spouse or your child. In fact, I think sometimes it's easier to go and feed a homeless man than make peace with a family member. How many spouses are hiding away under working long hours or just coming home and watching TV? I think television is the great escape in many of our families. And what we need is, is to do the hard work of seeing them eye to eye and having conversations. I laugh because I have to think of my mom, yes, the psychiatrist who used to tell my brother and I, after long periods of checking out in different means, that she would just stop and say, let's have meaningful conversation. <laughs> you know, we could be in the car and along the car ride. She said, let's have meaningful conversation, or at home. So we sort of joked and, and, and told Sophie about this, and my, Sophie calls my mother Wawa. And she also loves the song, The Wheels on the Bus. And so if we do The Wheels on the Bus, go round and round. And so there's this verse about the daddy on the bus says, I love you. So we've made up verses for many of you, by the way. It's quite fun. <laughs> I told Bob and Julie, because they love Play-Doh, so Julie loves Play-Doh. It doesn't quite fit, but we go with that. And then there was one we, um, so she said, well, what about Guava on the bus? So I said, the guava on the bus says, meaningful conversations, meaningful conversations, meaningful conversations. So Sophie can now say meaningful conversations. And anyway, the other day, let's just say Sophie became my other. Two-year-olds have a way of doing that. And what does any good parent do in a moment of anger? Put their child in front of the television <laughs> and get some time away. A grin. Again, the TV is the great other maker. But Sophie was excited because this is a rare treat at her house to watch TV. And I was really taking my time and cooling down and doing things I never get time to do. Finally, I passed Sophie. I was heading into the kitchen and I heard her say, Mom, Turn off the television. Let's have meaningful conversations. Oh. <laughs> I am not lying. <laughs> it's just Friday morning. Not only did I break down and laugh, I almost cried. Here was one ready for connection, teaching me about reconciliation. 
the other. part of our human family. A piece of yourself. And even as the text shows us a final turn, somebody else. You know, when Jonah boards that ship for Tarshish, I want you to hear what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to see who the other Jonah is fleeing. He says, But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He wasn't fleeing to Ninevites. He wasn't fleeing what we consider the other. He was fleeing the Lord. You know, many times we think we're avoiding that other person or other family member or situation or part of ourselves. But could it be that it's our way of avoiding God? God's work in our lives? Again, when God calls us to the other, it's about transformation and relationships. And maybe even moving into those places we hide from the great other of God. You may have wondered where we got this language, the other, anyway. Well, I happened to, my best friend in seminary was a philosophy major. And he was doing her dissertation on Levinas, a French Lithuanian philosopher. And so we would always have conversations about the other. And Levinas actually describes the other in this way. The other is superior or prior to the self. The mere presence of the other makes demands before one can respond by helping them or ignoring them. For Levinas, the other is God. In fact, Levinas always connected the other with within scriptural or the traditional sense of God. And I do think it's easy sometimes for us, we think, oh yeah, we'll just make peace with our enemy. It sort of philosophically sounds wonderful. And we may even make some strides in that direction. But until we do the work of going to the other, which is God, I believe our work with others will be in vain. So what if God is the ultimate other? And in our search to hide, which, you know, goes back to the Garden of Eden, we have fled the presence of God. And God's saying the very same message to us this morning that God said to Jonah. Repent. Repent. And I will restore the relationship. 
We know, as we seek this God this morning, I want us to spend some time in reflection, in our silent time, sifting through who the other is for us. Again, seeing the other in us, in God, or in another. And may we hear the words that Jonah even himself uttered, though in anger. May we hear again. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishment. Let us listen.